This week in the Dan Cave, Bill Alvstad of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast joins me, and we go dueling mock drafts with some very restrictive rules. Neither of us is allowed to take any player we've previously mocked before. A tall task, for sure, for yours truly. See how Bill and I tackle this unique approach up next in the Dan Cave. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vies. Welcome back into the cave this week, everyone. Hopefully you are surviving quarantine. The lockdown in Washington continues. Just extended yesterday by Governor Inslee through May 4th. I've been saying all along this is going to go at least until June, so I hope that you have all learned how to structure your day and stay productive and stay positive. Um, the early signs are good. Things are getting better in Washington, um, but um, I just want to stress uh, if you think when you hear things like April 11th is supposed to be the peak of the use of our resources in this state to mean that that means we're on the downhill side of this thing as of April 12th, uh, don't let that fool you. We need to really make sure this thing's in the rearview mirror. So I hope everyone's staying positive and, um, and that you're using your time as best you can and that you know this is going to be a couple of months before we can start to get back to normal. But I just hope everyone's hanging in there. Uh, thank you for choosing the Dan Cave as one of your diversions during this week. And thank you again to the NFL for giving us something to talk about. We get to talk about the draft again as it is scheduled to go forward at the end of this month. And that means we get to talk about mock drafts. And I've really been looking forward to this one for a while. Bill Alvstad and I have, have talked for years um, through Twitter only. We've never connected through voice. And so having him uh, join me today on the podcast uh, was a real pleasure. And this was his idea. And I'll let the segment explain it. I want to get right into this. But we're going to do dueling mock drafts. But unlike uh, the one Eric and I did a couple of weeks ago, there are some pretty specific rules governing this one. And it made it very challenging for me. So I want to get right into this. Um, hope you enjoy it. This is Bill Alvstad of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast and I doing our version of Dueling Mock Drafts. All right, so I am joined by Bill Alvstad of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts out there. Um, Bill, we've been talking and interacting on Twitter for years. It's finally good to catch up with you um, virtually. Dan, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. I mean, uh, you're right. We've been bannering back and forth and talking about uh, different players and uh, interacting, and it's finally uh, good to get together on the show and uh, talk some draft stuff today. Yeah, and uh, you work with one of my my favorite people I've ever worked with, Keith Myers, is a co-host on your podcast as well. He and I work together with 12th Man Rising. So um, just if any of my listeners have never listened to your podcast, um, I'll just scold them now. It's uh, one of the essential Seahawk podcasts out there. So it's uh, it's good to have your input and good to have you on the show. Yeah, I've been so fortunate to uh, to get together with Keith. Uh, we had hooked up back, I think, in 2015 or 16 about the idea of recording a show together and uh, finally came together in 17. Um, and we've recorded 162 episodes consecutively uh, each week. And uh, yeah, he's a great guy and um, great to have his insight and input uh, each week on the show. I I've just really enjoyed it so but anyway here we are we're going to do a mock draft is that is that what we're doing today that's that's what we're going to do so you and i i know that you love doing mock drafts and you know that i am um 
clinically addicted to mock drafts. <laughs> You're prolific. <laughs> so, I don't know if it, if prolific sounds complimentary. I think I think it's a it's a problem. And and this year, obviously, with all this time I have on my hands, it's gotten out of control. Um, yesterday, I didn't do a mock draft all day long because I was really productive. I spent the morning working out. I replanted my backyard. I've, I was doing all these things around my house. So I'm laying in bed. Uh, Erica's asleep. I'm not quite tired yet. And it dawns on me. I hadn't done a mock draft all day. So what did I have to do? I had to pick up my phone and knock out a mock draft. So that's funny. You know, I've been avoiding them this week since we decided we were going to do this show and we came up with the, the rules, uh, of this mock draft, which mm-hmm. included, we're not going to or at least attempt to not have any players that we've previously chosen for any of our mocks. And so my list is about 15 players deep because I did one mock and I did it really, you know, silly and did a bunch of trades and I had a 15 player mock draft. That's the only one I've, I've put out. I've done a couple other ones just, you know, to play around, but you have got about 75 of these things published out there. So I'm really interested to see what you've got going on today. Well, the whole reason I do that is so that after the draft, I can go back and say, yeah, I had him taking that guy. <laughs> it's going to make me look brilliant. Perfect. I'll just copy and paste little pieces together. But, uh, but you made a point when we first started talking about this and, and I think it was, it, well, it was, it was your idea. I had done, uh, just yet another mock draft and I can't remember which one it was or if it had trades or whatnot. And, uh, and you posed the challenge to me. Um, but you made a great point in doing so that, uh, you should try and do one of these where you force yourself to take players you've never taken in any mock draft because ultimately all fans gravitate to similar prospects and want the same players for their teams. So even when you get into some of these community mocks, um, you end up, you know, taking the same guys all the time. And so, um, or, or from a, a certain group of guys that you like. And so if you force yourself to take players that you're not thinking about, or that you don't think you like, or you haven't studied closely, it may end up being closer to reality because how often do we talk about how the Seahawks always surprise us, no matter how much we think we know what they're going to do. Oh, that's definitely true. And in addition to that, the the big boards that these draft mock uh, simulators use, um, you know, if you go back to the same simulator over and over, uh, eventually those same players are scrolling through that feed um, mm-hmm. when it's time for you to pick. And so you're right. You kind of get set into the same sort of players and you're looking for that one guy you really liked in the fourth round because it was a great value. And uh, if he's still there, you just have a, you know, a tendency to kind of pick that same guy. So yeah, this is kind of an interesting challenge. I'm kind of interested to see, uh, if we can put together something that the Seahawks would actually do, or if we end up just throwing away all these picks at the end of the show and saying, yeah, we would never do this. So it will be fun. Well, I'm not going to, hopefully I won't give anything away here, but, um, cause the way we're going to do this, we'll go pick by pick and, uh, and, and I'll tell you who I picked and then you can tell me who you picked and we'll discuss. But um, you were at a pretty distinct advantage here because I think when we talked uh, late last week, you said you had done something like four or five, you, less than 10 mocks, yes. full mocks. I've done probably a hundred. And so yes, <laughs> the, and, and, you know, as I learn about new players uh, and as some of those, um, you know, some of those big boards kind of shift and adjust, uh, and, and, and they tweak their rankings, you know, certain guys, like you said, continue to show up in certain spots and it's hard to pass those guys up. Um, 
but I'll also take different approaches. I'll try, you know, an aggressive approach, a trade down approach. I'll try, you know, taking a skill position first. What if the Seahawks shock us? And so I end up drafting from a much larger group because I've done more of these. So this was really hard for me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, you know, I'm not making excuses, but maybe I am. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, even my list of guys that I'm, I would, I made a list before I did this exercise of the players I had to avoid. And I like the players in that list. And so it was really sure. hard for me too, even though I've only done a handful of uh, mocks compared to you. Uh, it was still a little bit challenging. I will admit though, overall, there's, there's a, an advantage, but uh, let's, let's see how we do. All right. So uh, one of the rules we had is no trades because we just wanted to, to keep it equal as far as where the picks are. So we've, you know, the seven picks um, starting at number 27 in the first round. Uh, which we both agree is unlikely to occur. Agree. Um, we know that the Seahawks like to trade down, but for purposes of this exercise, we're staying at 27. And so for me to go a different direction, um, I went, I think one of the least obvious positions that we would see the Seahawks potentially take in the, in the first round. Um, but then again, maybe not. Uh, I went with Xavier McKinney, safety out of Alabama. You would think that after, you know, two straight years of heavy investment in the safety position for the Seahawks, uh, going back to Ted Thompson, who's no longer with the team now, Lano Hill, and then last year with Blair and Amati, um, and then bringing McDougal in as a free agent, trading for digs, that they're pretty stacked there, that that a safety pick in the first round uh, would seem to be, to some, a wasted pick. And so up until we agreed to do this exercise, I hadn't even looked at some of the top safeties. Um, I'd looked a little bit at Delpit. Um, but I hadn't looked at Winfield or McKinney at all. Cause I just didn't think, uh, I just thought they would be uh, a luxury that, that the Seahawks can't afford given their other needs. But McKinney's such a playmaker. He's a guy that can play both safety positions. Uh, something Diggs can do a little bit too. He can play, he, he projects as a guy that can play in the slot also. And, and it just seemed like for the purposes of this exercise, his versatility and his, his ball hawking ability, his ability to play in the box or play deep to cover receivers, play in the slot. Um, he was a guy that I'd never touched before. So he worked in this case. Yeah, I like that pick actually. And, you know, I've been thinking about the same sort of things. Uh, Xavier McKinney checks all the boxes that the Seahawks really like. He's that hybrid kind of versatility guy that's uh, that's kind of spreading all over the NFL. Um, and you see that in McDougald, especially. McDougald can play both the, the free safety position and the strong safety. Mm -hmm. This guy gives you even more versatility in being able to come in and play that nickel uh, spot. Um I, I have uh, always been drawn to uh, Winfield uh, myself. He's more of a free safety guy. Um, and I don't know that necessarily the safety position is a complete stretch in the draft. Um, it might be likely that they choose somebody later on um, just for that uh, ability to pr uh, play special teams. Um, a lot of those guys are very athletic and uh, they make great special teams players. And we just uh, let go of Tedrick Thompson. So there might be a spot to develop a guy. Um, do they take one this high? It's possible. If you take a look at McDougald, um, he's, he's really solid. He's a great pro. He's great in the locker room. Uh, he does everything that the Seahawks ask of him. Um, He's got a contract sitting out there. Some of it's non-guaranteed. Mm -hmm. uh, they could bring a guy like McKinney in and not expect him to uh, start right away, but he can contribute, uh, especially in that 
uh, nickel spot uh, in his first year, learn the system, and maybe next year they decide to move on from um, McDougald and McKinney would be able to step into that role. So I like that pick. That played into my thinking a little bit. I mean, for, for, um, you know, just for context, I, I go, I went into this draft assuming that the Seahawks are going to either lock up Jadevian Clowney before the draft or Everson Griffin or somehow address, you know, one more veteran edge rusher. Um, and, and in that case, they, they may be looking to free up another $3 million. And, and if a guy like McKinney falls into their laps that they feel like could contribute as a, as a rookie, then, then it could open up the possibility they can move on from McDougald if they felt they needed to. But, but being forced to look outside of my normal bubble, um, McKinney was a guy that I went with. So let's look at who your pick was at 27 in the first round for the Seahawks. So my overall strategy was try to allow the draft to come to me. I uh, didn't want to press, didn't want to um, uh, pick a guy uh, out of uh, where they would normally want to be uh, on the big board. Um, and so I went in a direction that I think is possible for the Seahawks to do, especially if they do address that edge rush before the draft. Um and I went with Austin Jackson, offensive tackle, USC, uh, 6'5", 322. It's got 34 and an eighth arms, big, huge hands, uh, showed uh, tremendous athletic upside while he was playing and at the combine. Um, first team all Pac-12, started 25 out of 39 career games. He started uh, at USC at left tackle. But my idea and thought with him was that he could come in immediately and be an upgrade over Brandon Shell there on the right side uh, after Fetty has moved on. Could probably take that spot at the right tackle uh, position. And then as Brown uh, transitions, he's getting a little older on the left side. Uh, Austin Jackson would have some experience at that point and be able to transition over to the left side and be the left tackle of the future for the Seahawks. So I thought for me, value-wise, when I looked at the board and the players that were uh, available when I was picking, guys like Jonathan Taylor, Mims, uh, Swift was there, and Antoine Winfield, uh, a couple other guys. He just seemed like the best value. I was really looking for an edge guy at this point, um, to be completely honest, and it just wasn't there for me in this mock. So I went with the best value and uh, at left tackle, considering contract values later on too, having that fifth-year option is is a good move. Yeah. I So when I when you sent me your mock, I was immediately jealous because um, Austin Jackson is a guy that I love. And, and as you've seen from some of my mocks, I often go tackle with the first pick, be it at 27 or if I trade down slightly. And the reason is, and you touched on it, unless an Epinesa or um, I, I doubt a, a Chazon is going to drop, but unless a guy like that really surprisingly drops, I don't like the edge options really at the end of round one. And, and in particular, if I take an edge in round one, I don't really like how it falls after that as far mm-hmm. as some of my other needs. And one of the needs that I go into every mock draft really hoping for, and I really hope that the Seahawks are thinking along these lines this year is I'm thinking ahead to 2021. And I, I want to secure my left tackle of the future this year. It's a it's a good draft through the first three rounds for those types of guys. And when you start to project contract issues into next year, now you're talking about potentially three-fourths of your secondary. 
um, being up for extensions with Diggs and now Dunbar and Shaq all at the same time. Doubtful you can keep all three. You're going to have some other big needs that will need to be addressed. And potentially you could go into 2021 if you don't nail it in this year's draft, needing both tackles on offense. And I would like to avoid that. And so if you can, if you can take one of these guys this year with the idea that he would succeed Dwayne Brown possibly as early as next year, because in 2021 is when Brown's contract gets really team friendly as far as cap savings if they release him. Um, and I think we're at the point in his career where each year it's just going to be a question of whether he wants to come back another year. Um, Jackson is a guy that I often take in that position. I wouldn't blink for a second if the Seahawks did. And um, I wasn't able to because I've taken him too many other times. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's uh, he's a good player. And uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bat an eye if the Seahawks made that choice. Now, for me, I, you know, my list of players available and so, and so forth kind of restricted that pick. I probably still would have taken him. Uh, now, later on uh, in my mock, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to uh, as far as addressing uh, the defensive line and the edge. I, I, I had one player, and we'll talk about that later, but um, for right now, the draft was looking good for me because I, I really liked that. So, All right. So now we go to the end of the second round, pick number 59, their native pick in the second round. Um, and again, this was a real challenge for me to find someone that I hadn't taken that I liked. I mean, it's easy to find players you haven't taken, but there's a reason that you don't take them usually because you don't like them. So I had to dig a little deeper and and look into this guy. But I, but I feel like one of the underrated needs that isn't being talked about much um, or enough is... Um, we're focused on edge, 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 pass rush, pass rush. The Seahawks are light at defensive tackle right now. They brought Jaron Reed back on the two-year deal. They've got Puna Ford and then Brian Monet's under contract. And and that's that's about it. I mean, you can talk about Collier can slide inside and some of the edge guys and Brandon Jackson can play inside a little bit, but that's not an answer. The Seahawks need to find a tackle in this year's draft. And primarily, I had focused on guys that projected as a one tech or a three tech, a guy that could penetrate and help the pass rush in that rotation. But I'd pretty much run through all of them in my mocks. And so I took Neville Gallimore, defensive tackle, Oklahoma. Um, he's a little bit of kind of a wrecking ball, Tasmanian devil type. He's a little, he looks a little shorter and squattier on tape than the typical you know, Seahawks defensive tackle. You're going to look to them to pick you know, higher. Usually they like those longer guys. Um, but Gallimore is a guy that just gives his, his motor is through the roof, gives a hundred percent effort, maybe limited in some of his lateral mobility. Um, but he's a guy that's going to give you a hundred percent effort all the time and, uh, and a lot of intensity in that interior line and work well in a rotation. So Gallimore was my pick. You nailed the description on this guy. A little bit shorter, a little stocky. His arms are a little shorter. That's why he's sitting there at 259. Otherwise, he's got some really nice traits that normally would uh, elevate him a little bit uh, closer to the middle of the second round or even uh, up up to the top. Uh, he's kind of a Jerron Reed type uh, without that length, though, but he's got 47940 at 304 pounds. Um, third team All-American, high motor, like you said, hustles, good hands, um, so he's going to give you that penetration, uh, three tech type, uh, look more than say a run stuffer type guy. Um, and you mentioned the fact that the Seahawks need 
a defensive tackle. I think they probably end up needing two. You've got to uh, replace Woods as well mm-hmm. um, in that kind of run stuffing role to back up uh, what we've got. And so uh, for me, I think this is a great value pick uh, at that spot in the draft and a guy that can come in and immediately contribute into a rotation. And now I uh, really like what you did at 59. I do too. You know, the Seahawks have talked about needing team speed, both on defense and on offense. And Russell Wilson came out and said, hey, I would like to throw the ball a little bit more and I want some playmakers to do it too. So I I listened (laughs) and I said, (laughs) I'm going to get you a guy, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State uh, at at the 259 position. Um, He's a playmaker, six foot, 205. Uh, nice long arms ran a four five forty, but that doesn't tell everything about this guy. He's quick. He's very athletic. He's got an 80 inch wingspan with a 40 inch vertical. What? I mean, this yeah. guy's going to be able to pick off balls that are way overthrown. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, 65 receptions in 2019 for 1100 plus yards and 18.3 average. So he likes to take the top off the defense, eight TDs. He's also one of the top two uh, returners in college football. Uh, punts, kickoffs, you know, uh, since Lockett kind of stepped out of that role last year, we could really use a nice infusion of talent in that return role. Um, so I, yeah. that was, you know, one of the things I considered when uh, I took this pick. And it wouldn't shock me if the Seahawks actually uh, had him on the radar. And if he was a Seahawk, man, I think everybody would be happy. Yeah, and this this allows me to talk about one of my my biggest pet peeves when it comes to uh, draft time or free agency or anything with with the kind of the general fan base is is there's this there's this idea that you know we we fall in love with guys and and we think positions are set when they're not set and and I've gotten some blowback from people when I've taken receivers high because we've got Metcalf and Lockett. Right. Okay. Well, who's number three? Philip Dorsett. Is he your number three? Is Malik Turner your number three? Like it, the drop off is significant. And, and what I usually get as a rebuttal to that is the Seahawks don't throw the ball enough. There aren't enough balls to go around to make these guys happy. I don't know about you, Bill, but that's not the way football works for me. Uh, no, when I was watching the Super correct. Bowl, I saw a Kansas City team. That was five deep with dynamic athletes at the receiver position. Do they all get to catch 80 balls? No, but it's what are you showing the defense and what does that allow you to do? And right now the Seahawks aren't able to go three, four receivers and really stress the defense the way that I know that, that Schottenheimer would like to, and the, the way that we know that Russell Wilson would like to. And so adding another dynamic receiver, I think is probably a, a priority of theirs every single year going into yeah. the draft. Well, when we drafted Lockett, was he the, the the number one receiver? Did we need Lockett? No. no. He came in as the third guy um, and developed. And yeah. he made his impact in the return game that first year. He was he was pretty decent as a, as a wide receiver prospect. Uh, kind of opened their eyes a little bit. I don't think they were quite expecting that much. But, you know, the same can be said for this sort of a pick. There's You can never have too many talented guys that can, that can get the ball in their hands and uh, make something happen in space. And this is a guy that can do that. 
And there's two things that I really love about Ayuk um, before we move on to uh, pick 64. Um, Rob Staten of the Seahawks draft blog pointed out uh, a month or so ago some research um, in, in talking about guys in this year's draft class that that have um, have elite traits. And uh, when you look at the analytics, Ayuk was the most proficient post route runner in college football last year. His production on post routes was off the charts. And that plays precisely into what the Seahawks like to do with play action pass and and Russell's ability to throw the ball deep. The other thing is you mentioned is productivity last year. And that was with a true freshman quarterback playing for Arizona state who was, who was really erratic. Um, Wasn't always accurate. You you know, you're not talking about uh, you know, he wasn't playing with Joe Burrow. So he was able to put up those kind of numbers, even though he he got all the attention from the defense every week in the Pac-12 and and was playing with a freshman quarterback. So I think that would be a steal at 59. I do too. So uh, pick number 64, this is a pick that the Seahawks got from Kansas City in the Frank Clark trade. Of course, it's 64 because they went on with Clark to win the Super Bowl. Um, let's have you lead on this one. Yeah, this um, is my least favorite pick. <laughs> well, and this this is a prospect that is one of the most perplexing guys in the draft for me. There are times where I can talk myself into loving him, especially from some of the things I saw Senior Bowl week, and then there are, there are some big question marks as well. Yeah, you know, I was um, I was torn with this pick because we've already got a couple of guys on the roster like this um, in uh in the guys that we have um our our first round draft pick last year collier um and rasheem green are both guys that uh, start out at the five tech base base defensive end in the four three and can slide inside and, and play a little bit of three tech for you on pass downs this is uh this is what this guy does jason strobridge he's listed out as a defensive tackle but he's really kind of a defensive end base defensive end can slide inside um, 6'4", 275, has a little shorter arms than I wanted at 32 and 3 eighths, but he did run a 4'8", 40 at that size, 26 reps on the bench, 31 vertical. You know, he's not special. And it's at the back end of the second round, I wanted a, a, a bigger upside pass rusher, specialist kind of guy. There just weren't any sitting there for me uh, in the mock, and uh, and a couple of guys that I'd uh, already uh, looked at were off my list. So yeah. uh, this is the guy for me. Um, he does have the, the 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 strength and the tough grittiness that the Seahawks do like. He's a better run defender than he is a pass rusher. The Seahawks seem to like those guys to be able to set the edge at that base defensive end position for them. But he's kind of a tweener player. He's a situational kind of guy. You want to make sure that he's got the right matchups. So you're always trying to figure out if you can play him uh, on three downs or if he comes in, you know, on a, on a big time rotation thing. He did have a good senior bowl against really good competition. So there is some upside there. Yeah, especially in the one-on-one drills and some of the some of the individual drills uh, the week of practice, he, he at times looked like he had the best get off of any of the defensive linemen, just lightning quick off the snap sometimes and penetrating. Um, and and it is you mentioned tweener. He was kind of it's it's really unfortunate how he was used at North Carolina um, because they he started out as an as an edge player. And and I think that suits his skill set better, as you mentioned. And then they sort of forced him to move inside, and he tried to bulk up, and it really didn't suit him. Um, 
And so, you know, figuring out how you're going to use him and trying to project production as a rookie from him is probably the hardest thing. Um, I think in a lot of ways, he looks like a Seahawk project. He looks like a, a Rasheem Green type player that, you know, two or three years, you could really have something there if you tap into that. I don't know if the Seahawks can afford that luxury. I agree. Right now. Yeah, I was definitely looking at a player like uh, Zaninga or uh, Bradley Ane in in this position. They were off the board when I uh, when I chose, and I had taken uh, Zaninga before um, in a mock, and so he wasn't going to be available to me. This was, you know, it was either this um, or I was going to have to wait until you know in the third round to to find a guy, and I wanted to make sure that I addressed gets dicey. it. Exactly. And so this is, this was the pick. Well, I needed to address edge also since I didn't at 27 or 59 and this was the time to do it, but it was tricky for me too, because a lot of those names that you mentioned, um, Zuniga had taken, um, you mentioned a and, and he's someone that I haven't mocked up until this point. So he was under consideration. I just, as, as good as he looked in the soup, in the senior bowl game, I think he had two sacks. Um, it was just really hard for me to get past his poor testing numbers. Um, but the guy I ended up taking at 64 has been hurt a little bit, his draft stock by some testing numbers of his own. And I went with Jonathan Grenard. Um, it looks like it's pronounced Greenard, but I've watched enough tape and it seems like the play-by-play guys always pronounce it Grenard. So that's what I'm going with. I'm glad um, you said that because I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Some have him listed as an outside linebacker. I think he's more of an edge. Um, and what's fascinating to me about this player is this exercise forced me to go look at him. And the first game I watched was Florida, Tennessee. And, and literally every single play in that Tennessee game, he affected the passer. Every play. Um, and then I, I see that he ran a four eight five at the combine, and that just didn't didn't compute for me because he certainly doesn't look like a four eight player on tape. Whereas Zuniga ran a four six four, I think, at the combine, but doesn't look on tape like he's a four six guy either. It's it's a very odd juxtaposition when you look at those two. Well, he did have got, a nice uh four three four short shuttle and a seven one three three cone. So those aren't terrible. So his get off is better than his straight line speed, which is, you know, at the edge rusher position, that's more important. Right. And it and it translates. He does get off very well. He reacts very well. He has really long arms. Uh he 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 has the right kind of body type. He's not thin in the trunk like a lot of guys are. Or he doesn't have those spindly legs that some of the some of the edge guys do in the third or fourth round. He's put together well, and uh, I was surprised how well he plays the run. You know, really holds holds guys with his arms extended, reads and reacts, um, runs plays down from behind, um, affects passing lanes. He can drop and cover a little bit, so I think there is some versatility there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just the more I like it, or the more I look at him, the more I like this guy. I think he's a great value at sixty four. I think he's a guy that can be part of the rotation on passing downs as a rookie, um, and I think his upside is better than Zaniga. So I was pretty happy to take him there. Yeah, and and like Ane and say Uche and so forth, he does have the ability to be a Sam linebacker type uh, player, um, kind of like the Bruce Irvin uh, role before he left, um, where and Kendricks. Uh, where he can drop back into coverage. He's a bigger guy, 
So uh, having him be the uh, the Leo on on the opposite side of the base defensive end um, in kind of that Cliff Averill role is an option, is a possibility. I do see him being more of a Sam guy, but that's just me um, as 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 a guy that doesn't do this full time. Um, but yeah, great pick at that spot. I like that pick better than my pick. Well, let's uh, let's see how we do in the third round. This is pick uh, 101, and I led the first two times, and I find your pick here really interesting, so I'm going to let you lead uh, this time as well. I was actually surprised that he was still available for me at this spot. Um, normally, when I've done mocks, he's gone just a little bit earlier, uh, so it was a good value for me. And I had already gone with offensive tackle um, in Austin Jackson, but I couldn't pass this one up and felt like the team still needed to address this issue for depth. Matt Pert uh, from UConn, a uh, big, big guy, 6'7", 318, 36 and 5 eighths inch arms, uh, pretty quick in the 40 at 5.06. Uh, um, swing tackle prospect. He's got the length and his athleticism, um, but he needs that playing strength. So he's got a develop for a year, maybe two. Um, but he's got all the basics that you want, the knee bending, the leverage, the feet. Uh, he could definitely probably end up playing left tackle in the NFL if he can develop that strength. Cause he does have that initial quickness. He's got that mirror ability, um, against the edge rushers. He just needs a little bit more time to season. Yeah. He's a really interesting prospect and I've seen him go anywhere from the seventies, uh, all the way down to where, where you've taken him here at one one um, just because his upside is so intriguing. You mentioned the athleticism, athleticism six, seven, I think he has basketball in his background. Um, and you could see that in some of his movements. Um, it's, I think he's it's, from like Jamaica too, or something like that, right? Yeah. So he's late to football, um, which, you know, NFL front offices, a lot of them now don't, don't view that as a negative. You know, he's, a, he's just a ball of clay um, that has a lot of traits that you can make something out of. And, and what's really intriguing about this is you could see a scenario where you've got, now you have Austin Jackson and Matt Pert as your backup tackles. Um, and, and you just let them kind of de- battle it out and see which one develops into a left tackle, and which one develops into a right tackle. And you could be set. I talked about getting, coming out of this draft with our left tackle, the future, you may have just gotten our bookends for the foreseeable future. So I love the idea just as a general draft strategy of just not holding back from taking a guy you like because you've already taken another one in the draft. And we just got one in free agency uh, in Brandon Shell. Uh, the, the position, you know, if you look at it from an outside perspective, seems solved. Um, and you talked about this before. Nothing's ever really solved on an NFL roster. You're right. always trying to add pieces, uh, even if uh, you don't need them at the time or you're, you think that's solved, uh, get them in, get them into your system and uh, look towards the future with it. Yeah. I view, he- I view shell. A lot of people view shell as a solution, especially when they read that he grades out slightly higher than a Fetty. You know, we yeah. got an upgrade for less it's money. Lateral, it's a lateral move without the penalties. I see him as a hedge. If the Seahawks can get a guy in this draft, and I was going back and forth with Corbin Smith uh, through some texts this morning, we were debating about Isaiah Wilson, mm-hmm. who's a guy that I've taken so many times in mock drafts. He wasn't available to me here as well. And and I've backed off from taking him in mock drafts now because of the signing of Shell, because he's a right tackle only. That's not how the Seahawks will think. If they love Isaiah Wilson 
and and are able to get him at a position of value in this draft, they'll take him without thinking twice. And if he beats out Shell, so be it. And I think that's kind of plays into what I was talking about earlier, where some fans just think, okay, we signed a guy. Well, we don't have to worry about that position anymore, but that's not how good teams think. So nice move here. What do you got? Well, I went, um, I have gone back and forth in my many mock drafts um, at the center position. And it's, it's a very good group at the top. And then there's a massive drop off to sort of a two or three player middle tier, and then a massive drop off after that into oblivion. So, you know, the question of what are they going to do with Justin Britt? Are they going to cut him to save that 7 million? Are they going to restructure him? Um, you know, is BJ Finney signed to, to take his place? Is that how you're going to free up the room to sign Clowney eventually or, or what have you? Um, I've gone, I've looked at every scenario from taking uh, Cesar Ruiz and Matt Hennessy in the first round all the way down to uh, Calvin Throckmorton in the sixth round because I like him at center. Here I kind of split the difference. And I went with Keith Ismael out of San Diego State. And he kind of is in that middle tier. Um, doesn't wow you with his athleticism. Doesn't wow you with his size. He's 6'3", 300. Not quite Justin Britt size, but much bigger than Joey Hunt. Um, and and what you see on tape kind of fits into that. He's he he he's just a solid, sturdy center uh, who's experienced. Lots of starts. Uh, walls things off in the run game. Loves to get to the second level. He's physical. He's pretty nasty at the point of attack. Um, good enough in pass protection that he's not going to hurt you there. Uh, he's never going to be a pro bowler, never going to be a franchise player. Um, but at a position that's really up in the air right now for the Seahawks, I thought he was solid value here, especially considering, um, he, he fit the, uh, I'd never taken him before. So my options were limited. Yeah. Interesting. You know, he, he does offer some diversity too. He has played both guard spots, uh, in addition to center. Mm -hmm. He does remind me of Joey Hunt in this respect. Uh, he's more of a technician than he is a, you know, a brute force. Um, he's not long or athletic, uh, and, and he could improve his Probably strength. had shorter arms than they like. Yeah, but he is, he's definitely a, a smart guy, knows how to block, use, leverage, all that kind of stuff, hand use. Um, I like the pick, and at that spot, it's a value. You mentioned Justin Brett. You're exactly right. Um, it seems like BJ Finney's coming in to be the starter. Um and Britt's going to either have to completely restructure. He's probably going to be off the roster so they can take that cap space and apply it to an edge guy. Um, and this would be a guy on the roster that could possibly take over Joey Hunt. We saw Joey Hunt's um, work, uh, you know, in December and in the playoffs and the bull rush was not his friend. He, he got run over quite a bit. I'd like to see an upgrade there. I know the team really likes Joey Hunt. They, they put out the tender for him. Um, I just don't think that he's the best player in Mike Solari's scheme. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to pick 133. This is the first of two fourth rounders for the Seahawks. Um, this is their native fourth rounder. Uh, they also got a comp pick for the signing of Justin Coleman. That'll come up at 144. And as I go through my mock drafts, I rarely take tight ends. So there were, there were quite a few names that were open to me at this position, but when I just looked at the overall couple of different draft boards and, and tried to get an idea for the 10 or 11 players, regardless of position that were available at this, at this pick, typically 
at the end of the fourth round, that's where I've dipped into some of the the really good depth on the offensive line. Um, and I've I've gone running back quite a bit in that range too. I went with Thaddeus Moss, tight end out of LSU. He typically had been going higher than this. He seems to in in the in the two simulators I use most commonly seems to be slipping a little bit. And it might be because he's sort of a he's sort of a tweener. He's not that dynamic, uh, long, athletic, pass catching tight end, that move tight end that we hear so much about that the Seahawks like. Um, and he's also not uh he's not a brute inline blocking tight end either. Um, he's kind of a late bloomer. Um, had a good solid senior year. Uh saw him in the playoffs, do some good things. What what I like about this pick is is just the versatility that he offers. And and again, I don't mean to be redundant here, but this falls into that category of, well, we don't need a tight end. We have Greg Wilson and Will Disley's coming back and they brought Luke Wilson back and they tendered Jacob Hollister. I don't expect Jacob Hollister to be on the roster. They tendered him at that second round tender. You're which, kidding me. Which I think guarantees him 3.2, yeah. 3.5. Interesting. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a lot of money for a fourth tight end, maybe a third tight end. And this is assuming that Will Disley is is healthy opening day, right? Well, um, I don't think Wilson, uh, Luke Wilson, uh, th- if you make this pick, Thaddeus Moss, uh, you're bringing him in to compete with Wilson um, as that inline blocking guy, the third, third or fourth guy on the roster. Um, I do think that they like the Hollister upside on the receiving um, pass. Oh, I do too. Tech. I like the player. I don't know if I like him at three and a half million dollars. And and maybe maybe they could still. Now they've just tendered him. He hasn't signed the tender yet. He could ultimately sign a two year deal or a three year deal. And if they if they do something like that, and that may be the plan all along, unless uh, if someone comes along with a second round pick and signs him to a tender, they're gonna they're gonna let him walk. So let me ask without you this. hesitating. Yeah. So he came in, um, what he played in 10 games, something yeah. like that. And they were so late in adding him to the roster. I like he Hollister. Had 40, he had 46 catches in 10 games. Yeah. For, I mean, there's a lot of upside there. So, I mean, it's, and you can make the argument at the end of the year, he may have been Russell Wilson's favorite target. Well, certainly that, that valve, no doubt. Yeah. That um, Moss. Interesting. Randy Moss's son. Um, 14 games with Joe Burrow thrown to him. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good combination right there. Ended up with some, some nice production, uh, yeah. definitely a better pass blocker, um, right now, um, as an inline blocker than a pass catcher, but he had 47 receptions for 570 yards and, and four TDs. Um, they just, I think that he's down there at this spot in the draft because his length is just not ideal. You know, yeah. he's, he's six, six three two. seems short for a tight end, which is six, kind of yeah, funny six two and a half or six two and five eighths or something like that. But thirty one and seven eighths inch arms, which is uh, quite a bit shorter than they like at that spot. So think, it'd be interesting. I think that makes him taller than Jacob Hollister, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Hollister six two, right? How fast though is Jacob Hollister? What? Yeah, do you know what? Yeah, Matt, Moss uh, isn't going to jump off the. You know, he's not that kind of guy that's going to that's going to jump off the screen. Uh, he just really productive, can run all the routes, uh, seem to come up with big catches and big moments, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is a really cool quality of his. And um, and his his best quality um, is that I had never taken him in a mock draft before. 
That's that's hilarious. You know, both <laughs> you and I were thinking the same thing at the same I time at, at this level of the draft. We're looking for now value. Um, and depending on how the draft falls, you're looking for the best positional fits, value, mm-hmm. uh, guys that can come in and, and have an impact on your roster, guys that you can put on the, the, the roster that uh, you're looking at uh, one, two, three years down the road. That was my thought uh, process with this. I normally go in a different direction with the tight end, but it was on my players. I couldn't touch uh, Albert O. Uh, it's Oku, <laughs> yeah. Oku don't Bonham or something like that out of Missouri. I thought I had it down a couple weeks ago, but I, I don't know if you've watched film on this guy, the, the Albert O guy. Uh, guy. Uh, but he's one of my favorite players in the end draft. He's Great so Seahawky. He just yeah. looks like a Seahawk player. I want them to draft him. I just it will never happen. Um, the guy that I went with though is, uh, Devin, uh, Asahasi or something like that. Right. Devin Asahasi. I just uh, tied in out of UCLA. Yeah. I go Aussie Aussie and just hope for the best. Aussie Aussie. I think that's it. <laughs> Aussie Aussie. Yeah. 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 Uh, six, three, two It's got a little longer arms than your, uh, Thaddeus Moss at 33 and a quarter, ran a 4.7340, had some nice productivity at UCLA at 44 receptions, 641 yards, and a 14.6 yards per average, which is excellent for a tight end, four touchdowns. He's a very fluid, natural pass catcher. Um, he's probably going to give you more um, catching the catching the ball now than he is an inline blocker, but he's solid and has that toughness and totally willing to block. Yeah. So they bring him into the system get him into that, uh, that type of a role. Um, Michigan you know, transfer, you, right? And he started sure. career. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did. He came back uh, to UCLA after a year, I believe. Yeah. He had to sit out a year, I think in 2018. Uh, interesting pick for someone who just spent, uh, who so staunchly defended Jacob Hollister. Um, <laughs> because he'd be competing with, you know, as you think Moss would be competing with Wilson, Asiasi would be competing for a roster spot with Hollister, no doubt. Um, really, well, really holes. smooth in the passing game, really good route runner, really natural hands catcher. Uh, I had, I had, uh, I had used him up, so he wasn't, he wasn't available to me. Well, with Olsen on the roster, you know, that's just a one-year solution, you know, and that's kind of a hedge for Disley in a sense in that. Disley's coming off that um, Achilles, and so you want to make sure that he's completely healthy. Um, so you don't know for sure if you're going to get Disley back. It looks like we will, but it wouldn't shock me if they took a tight end in the draft, especially as a hedge towards next year when Olsen's going to be off the roster. You can't predict Disley's health at this point. Two years, uh, two separate injuries have kept him out of many, many games. And so uh, I think it, it – they may end up taking a tight end in this draft. A lot of times what makes it really difficult when you get into these later rounds and you're looking at a situation like this, where if a guy's going to, if you, you draft a Devin Asiasi or a Thaddeus Moss, they're going to have to make the team as a, as a fourth tight end, which is a, a luxury position. And what, what we don't, what we aren't always privy to is can these guys contribute on special teams at all? Because, uh, UCLA isn't running Devin Asiasi out there on kickoff teams. Um, LSU isn't running Thaddeus Moss out there on any coverage teams. Um, and so it's, it's hard for us sometimes to get a, a, a grip on that. And oftentimes that's what, that's what decides these, you know, last few roster spots. Um, there are more roster spots this year. And so there are opportunities that there haven't been in the past to, you know, take a couple of guys that you might see as more of 
you know, the developmental type, um, because there's, there's an opportunity to stash a couple of players now that you couldn't before this new CBA passed. So, um, interesting as you get into these later rounds for sure. I agree. Uh, let's have you go first at 144. Again, the comp pick, um, uh, that the Seahawks got for Detroit signing Justin Coleman, uh, because I, I haven't studied this guy that much, um, but he certainly fits a role that I think uh, is something that we know Pete Carroll has been looking for since the day he arrived in Seattle. At this point in the draft, the Seahawks tend to take guys that have one or two traits that uh, they do really well and are deficient in some other traits. So you're not going to get a complete player at this level of the draft usually. Um, and so they'll try to find a guy that does, you know, one thing really well that they could use on the team. And they do a very good job as a, as a team putting guys in a position to be successful at those traits. Uh, this is that sort of a situation with Antonio Gandhi-Golden, wide receiver out of Liberty U, 6'4", 223, went a 4'6", 36 vertical, 10'7", broad, um, was one of those guys at the combine that just kind of lit it up. Um, that's kind of where I first really noticed him. I mean, I've, I heard of him, you know, during the year, but hadn't really watched him. Um, very productive wide receiver, uh, in all three years in school, uh, nearly, you know, at or over 70 receptions each year, over a thousand yards, tons of touchdowns, like 30 touchdowns in college. Yeah. He's got, he's that height, weight, speed guy, but what, you are looking for in this guy and what the Seahawks would want is a red zone target. Um, and so that's what he does really well. He goes down, runs seam routes and, uh, he, he is that guy you look for in the red zone. Um, and so he would be the fifth wide receiver on the roster, maybe the sixth guy. Um, he would take the, now who am I thinking of on the roster that, that has that role right now? Um, Dan, uh, Oh. Red zone, not not Malik Turner, the other guy. See, anyway, this is what I was talking about earlier. This is why the Seahawks need a receiver. Half, we can't even think half, of a fifth guy right now. Give me half a second. Um, David <laughs> Moore. Not, okay, David Moore. So David Moore's I kind of always in that forget role. about David Moore, which I think tells you about what I think is <laughs> again. Well, he's been so inconsistent, and so if they can upgrade that spot into a guy that's uh, that's got a better contract because it's you know he's a rookie and uh, can give you some upside and give you. You know, initially in the first year, he's not going to give you much, but if he can give you, uh, you know, 20 receptions, uh, 300 yards and, uh, you know, three or four touchdowns, that's a great year for a guy like this in the back end of the fourth round. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of played into that same idea, uh, at 144 here, just looking for a guy that had, um, you know, we hear this all the time that, that, and the Seahawks aren't the only team that, that prescribed to this theory that you know, don't, don't focus so much on what a player can't do, but what he can do. And then we can, we can, do we think we can fix the rest of it? And at 144, that's what I did in an attempt to find kind of that developmental guy that, that this would be an example of being able to take advantage of the, the expanded roster. Um, cause I really did want to come out of this draft with, uh, with a sort of a, What's the word I'm looking for? I guess a uh, projectable left tackle. So I went Sadiq Charles, LSU. And what Charles gives you, um, he's 6'4", 295. That's light for that frame. And that plays into uh, the negatives. What he does give you is really easy, easy movement skills. Um, 
for that size. Really moves laterally, laterally well. I like his pass sets. Um, he's a smooth mover at 6'4", 295. He's got long arms. Um, the frame looks like it, it can add some good weight, and that's what he would have to do. Um, this guy's a little light in the trunk. He has a little trouble when he tries to anchor against uh, a strong bull rush. Um, he's, he's more of a wall-off type blocker at this point. Um, but there are scouts who feel like he is a potential starting left tackle in the NFL if he can get stronger. And so I think at this point in the draft, um, with that being a need, um, I had exhausted most of my tackle, uh, picks at this point, um, either with guys that I'd already taken or guys I just don't like, like I, I, this is much later, but just as an example, like I'm not going to take Ezra Cleveland as well as he did in the combine at any point in the draft, because I just think the arms are too short and he doesn't fit what the Seahawks are looking for. So um, Charles, I thought did, and was decent value at this point, at least from that pool of players that I had available to me. Nice. Yeah. I mean, he's got definitely some upside there. He's got some quickness about him. He's got good feet, solid agility. Um, so he gives you a little bit of athleticism that you're looking for on the left side. I think he starts out in the NFL on the right side, uh, see how he does. And uh, if he's better suited on the left, I think that's an option. Or worst case scenario, a guy like this in the draft is going to end up being a swing tackle for you and a, and a nice uh, backup in both spots. Um, so I, great value pick. And I even read today for the first time, can't remember who it was on Twitter, but one of the, one of the, one of my preferred scouting guys that I follow on Twitter. And, um, he, he basically threw out the idea that I don't know why nobody's talking about Charles moving to guard because I think, I think his ceiling would be unlimited there. So that, that might give you another fallback option. Mm -hmm. Um, if he were to fail to, to really, you know, grab a spot at either bookend. So, so here we are. The last pick. M- Mr. Irrelevant for the Seahawks. If the, if the draft was six rounds long, it would be yeah. Mr. Irrelevant. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Dan, um, before we wrap up the, the draft portion of, of what we're talking about. Uh, draft strategy-wise, um, how many picks do you think the Seahawks come out of this draft with and, and as far as strategy on dropping back and all that kind of stuff? We didn't do that today as part of this yeah. mock, but... Do you think that they go uh, where their last pick is six uh, two fourteen, or do, do, do they end up with a seventh round pick so they well, can think, get think, into that value pocket at the yeah, end of the draft? I think minimum nine picks, one way or another. And even if they stay at twenty seven, I think there's a real opportunity to move back from one of those second round picks. Um, I think they would like to get a fifth back. There's some really good value in that round. I that totally we totally agree. we didn't get to dip into at all in this exercise. Um, I think high third, there's some players that they just, they would love to have that they just can't touch from where they are at the back of the third. So, and, and that's, you know, that's what you would look to recoup if you did move out of the first into the early second from 27. So I think minimum nine picks. And I would, I would suspect that by the time this is all said and done, that they'll have at least a pick in each round. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So why don't, why don't you go ahead and uh, give me your. So at this point, last pick in the sixth round, I was just looking for a guy that had a good chance to make the roster. Um, And uh, I went with Nick Coe, uh, edge out of Auburn. Marlon Davidson gets all the pub uh, on that Auburn defensive line. Uh, He's more of a second round pick. Um, Coe is uh, most likely a five technique all the way. 
Um, mm-hmm. He's not a twitchy, bendy edge rusher in any way, shape, or form. Um, he's got good extension, really heavy hands. Um, I mean, he can he can really deliver a punch um, and and really stone a receiver. He's coming a throwback. Off the he's a throwback player. Kind of reminds. I mean, he's clear. He's not nearly as big as Red Bryant. I think Red Bryant was 325, 330 coming out of college, uh, or maybe that's what he was listed at, and he was closer to 350. Um, but he's 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 not a guy even that I'm I'm sure can reduce inside. He's strictly going to be uh, an edge-setting type defensive end. Yeah. Um, but I, I, really think he so- can, I think he can go inside a little bit, um, but he's definitely that run stopper, that base defensive end, state wrestling champ. I think two-time state wrestling champion at 285 yeah. pounds in high school. What? Um, I like the pick at that spot in the draft, actually. That's a guy that can come in and be a rotation guy for you, I think. Yeah, you know. and that's what I was looking for. I mean, I remember um, in particular – um, he was really good against the Huskies last year, um, watching that game, being up here as I am, and um, really stood out to me more so even than Davidson, who I've tried to fall in love with, and I'm just having a hard time mm-hmm. doing it. Um, so I He's the guy that can take Brandon Jackson's role on the, on the roster, to be completely honest. Yeah, and when you think about a year ago in the sixth round, when they ended up with DeMarcus Christmas, who only made the roster because he got hurt, and I don't think has any chance to make the roster this year. Um you know, just to get a guy at that point that can help at a position where you need help is, uh, I thought was about as good a value as I could hope for at that spot. And I'm so really went, intrigued with your spot. Yeah. So. so I went in a completely different direction. Normally I don't yeah, uh, do. take a quarterback, um, in the draft, um, because you know, the shows, uh, the team has shown that it's willing to take a, a veteran guy on a veteran, almost minimum contract to be back there. They're not, getting any meaningful snaps um, at all at this point in Russell Wilson's career. And so, uh, but I thought the team would be well served to uh, bring a a guy on. And I've thought this for a while, actually, a guy on that they could develop um, that could either present value to the Seahawks or present value uh, to another team and maybe a trade type of a situation, you know, down the road, uh, a la the, the New England Patriots kind of uh, philosophy on quarterbacks. And so I took Kelly Bryant, quarterback out of Missouri. Now, there were some other guys sitting out there that have a little higher grade, if you will, but I watched Kelly Bryant on tape um, quite a bit and compared him to some of the other guys uh, in that range. And I like what I see. He's got good tools. He's fundamentally sound in his throwing motion. He's got good size at 6'3", 229, ran a 46940, which is not incredibly fast, but it's it's pretty decently fast for a guy that size at quarterback. He can move around in the pocket. He doesn't get all jittery. He can give you some uh, some room to maneuver outside the pocket and throw on the run, all that kind of stuff. The reason he's sitting out there um, is he's just been uh, somewhat inconsistent with his throws at 62% completion rate. Um, but, and the, and the interesting thing about him is that he was a one-time 17-2 and two record starter at Clemson yeah. before Trevor Lawrence came. Right. And Trevor Lawrence beat him out. But he had won the game MVP in the ACC championship back in like 2017 or 18, one of those yeah. two. Uh, so he transferred to Missouri, but he's got the NFL size. He just has some spotty tape. He needs some coaching. He's shown some toughness. He's played through some injuries. 
um, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's, there's all the ingredients to work with in a developmental quarterback at this range in the draft. And I think it would be really well served to come onto the Seahawks roster, play it behind Russell Wilson, learn from Brian Schottenheimer, who's an excellent quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be a good system for him. It could be a good system fit. Yeah. In some ways, he, he reminds me of Jacoby Brissett, who Schottenheimer worked with uh, in Indianapolis. Interesting, yeah. And and who we know the Seahawks tried to acquire a couple of years ago as Russell Wilson's backup. I, I think he plays right into what I was talking about earlier, too. And and one of the things that I think we're going to see, I, I'd be surprised if we don't, as, as an effect of this new CBA. And, I and, agree. I know where you're going. Uh, uh, yeah. Essentially expanded rosters is I think we're going to get back to teams carrying a third quarterback again. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and 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 that gives you the opportunity to develop a player because I I used to hammer on John Schneider for not taking a quarterback more often in the draft and it, because at some point every year pre-draft he would say, you know, I come from Green Bay where I learned from Ron Wolf you take a quarterback every year and look what Green Bay did with that and he says he wants to take one every year and then when the pick comes on the board there just isn't the right player at the right time to take. Yeah. I find myself doing that in mocks too. I go into every mock thinking, ah, oh, man, I'd love to grab this guy or that guy. And, and I can't pull the trigger. Um, and well, so you have so many know, different positions of need, you know, yeah. it's one of those things. And we know where you that have our Russell guy Wilson. plays every snap. Exactly. Exactly. And so this would give you an opportunity now to, to have a Geno Smith as your clipboard holder and your veteran backup, if you need him to win a game or two during the year, but also develop a guy because essentially the practice squad expands to 12 players now. And two of those players, can be activated on game day and 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 kept on the practice squad without being exposed to waivers. So essentially you can protect a third quarterback now. And and with if the XFL s- survives for a season 2 or season 3, I think you're going to see more teams doing this too because it'll keep those guys, some of those developmental guys away from the competition also. And so um really intrigued by this guy because even well before the draft process, just turning on any random Missouri game during the season um, there, there are very few players that catch your eye immediately and, and draw you to them. And he was that type of player. I remember the first time I turned on a Missouri game last year, it was, I had forgotten that he had transferred from Clemson, from Clemson. Um, and he was the best player on the field. Um, maybe not the best quarterback in the country. As you said, he has some accuracy right. issues and, and, um, anticipation issues. Um, but the the skill set and the athleticism and, and uh, the playmaking ability is, is really interesting, uh, really intriguing because there aren't a lot of those guys there. After those first five or six quarterbacks, this is not, in my opinion, a very good class. And so, true. I've been um, trying to though figure out Dan like why he's listed so poorly in most big boards. You know, even from some of the big, you know, the big ESPN big boards, CBS, et cetera. You know, they've got all sorts of guys in front of him. Nat Stanley, James Morgan. I watched some James Morgan uh, tape. He's, he's the guy from uh, Florida uh, International. And he's consistently ranked in front of uh, Kelly Bryant. And I watched both of them really extensively on tape, like, you know, 45 minutes each. And I did not like James Morgan as a quarterback. He just has a real funky motion. He looks sluggish. Uh, back there, just I just he just doesn't do it for me at all. Whereas Kelly Bryant, when you watch him, he looks like a pro. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd be really, really interested in that pick. And especially if they do, as we talked about earlier, uh, if if they do add some later picks, uh, maybe another sixth or a seventh, I would love to see them take a quarterback this year and actually stick with them. I really liked, I saw enough that I liked in Alex Magoo that mm-hmm. I, I wish they had had the opportunity then to keep a third quarterback. I understand why they didn't want to carry him as their primary backup. He wasn't ready for that role yet. Um, and there was enough interest in him around the league um, that they had to do something with him that second year to keep him from um, from other teams. But, I, you know, he's kind of bounced around now and his development window has probably closed. But I thought there was something there. And it it's frustrating they haven't found one of those guys in the 10 years now that Pete Carroll has been in Seattle. Yeah, very interesting. And the guys that they do bring in, um, like Geno Smith, they turn him around in a year. You know, it, mm-hmm. I think Geno Smith is a fine uh, backup in the NFL, and it would be great to have him on the roster. Um, but I get those guys um, want to go look for for better opportunities. So yeah, see what happens there. All right. So just to recap, uh, my draft: Xavier McKinney, safety, Alabama; Neville Galmore. Tackle out of Oklahoma, defensive tackle. Jonathan Grenard, edge, outside linebacker, Florida. Keith Ismael, center, San Diego State. Thaddeus Moss, tight end, LSU. Sadiq Charles, offensive tackle, LSU. Nick Coe, edge, Auburn. Bill went with Austin Jackson, offensive tackle out of USC. Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver, Arizona State. Jason Strobridge, edge, North Carolina. Matt Pert another offensive tackle from UConn, Devin Asiasi, tight end UCLA, Antonio Gandy-Golden, wide receiver Liberty, Kelly Bryant, quarterback Missouri. And I have to say, I like your draft better, but I knew I would because, because I had so many players that I couldn't touch. Yeah. No, yours is, yours is just fine at the top. Like I like your first three picks. I think they would be fine. Um, you know, after that, I think for both of us, it gets a little iffy. Um, and I did not like the way the mine turned out, uh, as far as addressing the defensive line, but sometimes that happens when you do these things. But the point of this exercise and the reason I loved doing it and then breaking it down and talking about it with you is that things never go the way you want them to when you're a general manager in the NFL, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men. Um, you know, you can have the best draft plan that you think uh, is possible. You you can think that you're in touch with what other teams are going to do and uh, what other teams' big boards are, and you get sniped with every pick uh, right as you're about to turn in the card, and you have to you have to go with your second or third or fourth choice sometimes. I think that's what happened last year with LJ Collier. So I, um, I think uh, that's what was fun about this is is forced to take players that I wasn't 100% sold on or in love with um, um, you know, made me expand my horizons and look at some other players and consider some other possibilities. So that was fun. Yeah, no, I had a great time and thanks for having me on. I mean, I love getting together, uh, with, uh, with you to talk football. We do it on Twitter, uh, but to, to actually uh, have a conversation about it and to get a little bit more in depth is always, uh, always preferred. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. I appreciate having you on. And I, I suppose, uh, I suppose it went pretty well because before I hit record, we talked about keeping it to 25 or 30 minutes. We're, we're an hour five into this. So, um, Bill, and thanks. I, for- I take, I take the blame completely because, you know, <laughs> oh, when no. Keith and I record, we can't get under an hour. It just doesn't happen. So I'm sure it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'll let you take that one. Take that one for the team. Uh, Bill, it was great having you on again. Uh, co-host with Keith Myers of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. You can find it on all the uh, all the popular podcast platforms. I highly recommend it. Bill, thanks for uh, thanks for being on, and maybe we'll have you on. Uh, maybe we'll do this uh, one more time just to talk some general draft ideas uh, as we get um, as we get to the eve of the draft. Some last minute kind of kind of thoughts. Yeah, I'd love to to come on uh, ahead of time, or I'd come come on afterwards, and we can talk about all the picks too. That'd be fun. So, all right, yeah. Bill, take care yeah. and uh, stay safe and wash your hands. Thank you again, Dan. All right, all right. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate Bill coming up with that idea because uh, hopefully um, you enjoyed that. I know I did, and it it gave me a new approach to doing mock drafts as they start to get a little boring after you do them as often as I do, because as Bill mentioned, the same players are there in the same spots. And, and so this really forces you to get outside your comfort zone. And it's caused me, uh, it's given me a reason to go study some of these, these prospects that I normally wouldn't have looked at as closely because I had eliminated them from consideration for one reason or another, either I just didn't like them or I didn't think they fit, but we always know If there is one constant from draft to draft under John Schneider and Pete Carroll, it's that they will always surprise us, no matter how much we think we've cracked the code of the Seahawks way. And so um, I'll continue to do this um, just as a little challenge to myself um, to see what kind of curveballs I can come up with. Uh, Really appreciate Bill joining us. Um, I would encourage you highly to to check out the Seahawks Playbook podcast if you haven't listened to it already. And I I appreciate so much that you all continue to listen. Uh, My numbers have stayed consistent, even in these weird times where we're stuck at home and we're out of our normal routines. You're not in your car anymore as much. You're not commuting as much. And that's when I know a lot of people listen to podcasts. And so thank you for the support. Uh, Thank you to the NFL for continuing with the draft as scheduled gives us something to talk about next week in the Dan Cave. I will start doing my unique twist on Seahawks positional draft rankings. I'll start doubling up and doing two episodes a week uh, because we got to get through all the position groups in the next three weeks. And the way I'm going to do it is I will identify for each position group one player in each round that I like in that round for the Seahawks. That's next week in the Dan Cave. Until then. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Please reach out and interact with me. Love taking your questions and your comments, uh, feedback on the episode, or something you'd like me to touch on next week as well. Also, hit subscribe in whatever podcast platform that you use. That way you'll know as soon as I post a new episode, it'll be ready for you to listen to. Until next week, thanks again. Be safe. Be sane. Hang in there. We're going to get through this. I'm Dan Viennes, this is the Dan Cave, go Seahawks, go Mariners, and go Cougs.